Hello, and welcome back to Eric Likes Animals podcast. I'm your host, Eric Mahan, and I'm here to chat with you guys about some environmental news stories and animals. So if this is your first time hanging out with me, welcome. And if you're a returning listener, welcome back, and thanks for listening. So also, special welcome to our very first spooky episode of the season, because once again, it's spooky season. And of course, we have very special spooky episodes during this time. Last year, I talked about such things as the Goliath bird-eating tarantula and, of course, the vampire bat, and explained why they really aren't that scary. This time, however, I decided I'm going to tell you guys about animals you should obviously still love, of course, but have some very dark secrets about them. So get ready for some more spooky fun this season, and I guess we should move on to some environmental news. Or maybe something a little different, for you see... Normally we talk about environmental news here, but this past week on October 5th, the Blue Loops 50 Zoo and Aquarium Influencers were announced. And no, I didn't make the cut, but that's okay, because obviously there was a ton of people that very much deserve it. Now, I thought it would be fun to go over and read a little bit of the descriptions listed on some of these Blue Loop folks. And no, I'm not thinking about reading all 50 and not the complete descriptions of them, because that would take forever. But let's talk about their Power 10 group, which were 10 people that Blue Loops wanted to give an even extra special shout out to. So once again, before I begin, I am going to be truly sorry if I butcher any names or places. After all, this was looking at people all around the world. But what the heck? Let's try this. And let's read what Blue Loops had to say. So first up, we had Misha Body, a conservation leader and the MIZS board member and freelance. So Misha Body is a freelance leadership and organization development consultant. Now, the MIZS portion is standing for Minorities in Aquarium and Zoo Science and is an organizer which seeks to further aquarium and zoo science by diversifying its professionals and point of view. Now, she is also a member of AZA, where she is a member of the Ethics Board's Annual Conference Program Committee and advises professional development. She was formerly the Director of Wildlife Care at the San Diego Wildlife Alliance, where she oversaw the care of more than 6,000 animals across 700 sites. Next up, we have Michael Clifford, Strategy Director, Director of Special Projects, Reverse the Red, GLMV Zoos. So Michael Clifford serves as the Director of Special Projects for the GLMV Architects Zoo and Aquarium Division, a leader in zoological conservation initiatives. He is also the Strategy Director of the Reverse the Red Movement, a global movement to unite governments, partners, and experts to ensure the survival of wild species and ecosystems. In this role, Clifford is also a global advocate for innovation and conservation impacts for his GMV projects. Now, the Reverse the Red brings together, obviously, a ton of leading scientists, advocates, and partners committed to using data-driven and science-based approach to species conservation. Next up, we have Karen Fifield, Chief Executive Wellington Zoom Trust. Karen Fifield was appointed Chief Executive of Wellington Zoo in 2006. Fifield was elected president of the World Association of Zoos and Aquariums, serving from October 2023. She worked extensively with WAZA, or World Association of Zoos and Aquariums, as vice president, a member of the Conservation and Environmental Sustainability Committee, and as chair of Ethics and Animal Welfare Committee. 
She has had a lead role in the development of the association's sustainability guides, as well as policies including the WASA 2023 Animal Welfare Goal, Protecting Our Planet, and WASA Sustainability Strategies. She was honored with the title of the New Zealand Order of Merit for Service to Business and Animal Welfare in 2017. Fifield was appointed as a member of the Wellington Conservation Board, was elected as a member of the New Zealand Sustainability Business Council, and was been president of the Zoo and Aquarium Association of Australasia in 2010. Fifield was Wellington of the Year in the environmental category. Next up, we have Pierre Gay, Director General, Biopark Zoo de Dula Fonte and Zoo des Sabelles de Olone. Hopefully I said that kind of correctly. Now, Pierre Gay had been director of Zoos des Sables Olent since 1998 and director general of Biopark Zoo de Dolafonte since 1973. He has spent his career dedicated to conservation and reintroduction projects, as well as overseeing two zoological parks, obviously, in France. Gay has also traveled to Niger to save the last herd of West African giraffes and worked with the Heinz Plague of, in Peru on the Spectral Bear Conservation Project since the end of the 1970s. Gay has taken it upon himself to exchange, discover, and learn what is being done elsewhere and how biodiversity is protected, conserved, and even saved. In 2006, EAZA gave him an award for his commitment to the protection of nature. For over 30 years, Pierre has thus enabled the community of zoos and aquaria, particularly in Europe but also worldwide, to consider and develop conservation from an innovative angle that makes sense today. Next up, we have Vivek Menon, founder and executive director of Wildlife Trust of India. Now, Vivek Menon founded the Wildlife Trust of India in 1998. This nonprofit organization works with communities and government agencies to protect wildlife in India with a particular focus on endangered species and threatened habitats. He is also a counselor of the International Union of Conservation of Nature, or IUCN, IUCN follows a science-led approach to provide knowledge, resources, and innovations to public, commercial, and non-governmental organizations. This seeks to support the coexistence of society, economy, and nature. In addition, Vivek Menon is the Global Chair of Amphibian Survival Alliance and has been a Senior Advisor to the CEO of International Fund for Animal Welfare for over 10 years. He is the winner of the 2019 Clark R. Bavin Award, the 2008 Whitney Continuation Award, the 2017 Round Glass Sam Sarah Lifetime Achievement Award, and the 2001 Ruford Award. He has written 10 best-selling books, including Indian Mammals, A Field Guide, Wildlife Crime, and Enforcement Guide, and On the Brink, Travels in the Wilds of India. Next up, Aaron Mayer, VP Conservation Programs and Partnerships, Seattle Aquarium. Erin serves as the Seattle Aquarium's Vice President of Conservation Programs and Partnerships. In her role, she directs conservation programs across three main areas, science policy and sustainability. Mayer earned a PhD in integrative biology from the University of California. Additionally, Mayer has carried out research on kelp forest ecosystems at the University of Alaska Southeast, coral seagrass ecosystems at the Bermuda Institute of Ocean Sciences, and Bioval Biodiversity and Ecology at Barapa University in Thailand. Mayer has helped build the ReShark Global Coalition in response to the growing disappearance of sharks and rays due to fishing and habitat loss. For some endangered species, protection and restoration habitat area is insufficient because of 
their number is getting too low, they can successfully reproduce. And that's where aquariums can step in because we are organizations with the expertise and experience in breeding, rearing, feeding, and caring of these animals in ways many other organizations can't do. It's an incredible opportunity to put our knowledge to work to restore threatened species in the ocean, Mayor said. Next up, we have Joella Magerman, president and CEO of Philadelphia Zoo. Joella, Philadelphia Zoo's new president and CEO, previously served as director of St. Louis Zoo Wild Care Park before she was the vice president of learning and communities at Chedicram and spent nearly 14 years in leadership roles at the Brookfield Zoo. As director of the St. Louis Wildlife Care Park, which is due to open in the public in 2027, Magerman was responsible for leading and planning the development of 425-acre destination close to the St. Louis Zoo. President and CEO of St. Louis Zoo Dwight Scott added to say, It's been a privilege to work with Dr. Magerman in an understatement. She's a strategic leader, a visionary, a dedicated conservationist, and a tremendous project manager and problem solver. While she'll be missed here in St. Louis, we look forward to partnering with her and her colleagues now at the Philadelphia Zoo. Next up, we have... John Racanelli, the president and CEO of National Aquarium, joined the National Aquarium in 2011. This organization works to inspire conservation of the world's aquatic treasures. Now, before joining National Aquarium, Racanelli spent 10 years at Racanelli Partners Incorporated, a consulting firm which he founded to advise nonprofit leaders around the world. In this work, he supported organizations such as the Sylvia Earle Alliance Mission Blue, International Union for the Conservation of Nature, and Suffrider Foundation and work with Dr. Sylvia Earle to launch Google Ocean, which brought the ocean to Google Earth. He has extensive experience in aquaria across the U.S. and was formerly CEO at the Florida Aquarium in Tampa, vice president of marketing and development at Monterey Bay Aquarium, and worked as a diver and aquarist while at college. Next up, we have Lyle Squire Jr., CEO and director of Karen's Marine now, Lyle Skyer Jr. has been CEO and director of Karen's Marine for nearly 30 years. Karen's Marine is one of the world's largest leading suppliers of sustainability source marine life for aquaria. The firm is dedicated to excellence in marine species collection and has set up global benchmarks for best practices in the field. This firm supplies an extraordinary range of marine life from sharks, sawfish, and rays to smaller fishes and invertebrates. Next up, we have Kieran Stanley, founder, CEO, architect, and creative director of Don Paramount Group. Originally from Cork, Ireland, Kieran Stanley, who lives in Berlin, here he plans and designs zoos and leisure parks across the globe. After completing his architect studies at Trinity College Dublin, Stanley traveled to Hanover in Germany to work for an architecture firm commissioned to develop the master plan for the Hanover Zoo. This master plan approach became an important milestone in the development of European zoos. Stanley is a member of the World Association of Zoos and Aquariums, the International Association of Amusement Parks and Attractions, the German Leisure Park Association, and the European Water Park Association. Some of his major projects include developing the master plan for the Berlin Zoo, Chester Zoo's Island Project, and South Korea's first ever giant panda habitat at Everland Resort, and the Rhinoceros Pagoda Project in Berlin. Whew. Okay, I think that's everybody. It's a lot. There's a lot more information there. And it's also full, of course, with the other 40 people that Blue Loops have nominated and a bunch of information there. So if you want to read more on the 10 people I just said, 
as well as, of course, the 40 others that didn't make the Power 10 list, but still made the top 50 list of the Zoo and Aquarium influencers on Blue Loops. I will put a link down below so you can see it for yourself in the episode description. So check it out yourself and congratulations to, of course, the Power 10 and everyone that made this list for your dedication to animals and, of course, the ecosystems they call home. Now it's time for your creature feature. So for this creature feature, I'm going to be talking to you guys about a bird that many people associate with, well, Africa. For it's been seen a lot as a helper to many large mammals that roam there. They're kind of the birds that sit on the animals as they walk around. And it's normally associated that they're on there helping keep them nice and clean. But these birds have a dark secret. And the bird that I'm talking about is the red-billed oxpecker. Now, there are a couple species of oxpeckers, but for this episode, we're sticking with the red-billed oxpecker, which is the one you see in most nature documentaries. It's even shown in a lot of cartoon movies like The Lion King. As I said before, it's the bird that normally you see in all those amazing Africa shots, sitting on elephants, rhinos, giraffes, and many other African animals as they roam around. Now, the red-billed oxpecker is found mostly on the east side of Africa, normally in open savannas in the sub-Sahara. Now, they can reach about 9 inches and weigh a little under 2 ounces. They can live around 15 years. As for what they look like, red-billed oxpeckers are a name for their bright red bills, which is stocky but sharp. Their back head and wings are a colored olive brown with a pale underside. Around their eye is a ring of bare skin, which is pale in color. The legs and feet of the red-billed oxpecker are colored gray. These are well adapted for gripping to well-moving perches. This, of course, includes their powerful toes and sharp nails. All perfect for doing the thing, well, it's kind of their thing, which is hitching a ride on different mammals that live in this region. Now, besides doing this for free rides, they are riding these animals a lot because that's where they can find and hunt for food. Here on these mammals, they can feed on ticks, leeches, and other parasitic insects. And to find this food, they use a process called scissoring. This involves opening and closing their beak rapidly in hopes of finding parasites throughout the fur. Each day, these birds could eat up to 100 ticks, which is probably why they are also sometimes referred to as tick birds. They also sit on top of the animals because it's a perfect position to catch flying insects like flies that are trying to bug their rides. But that's not all they eat. The red-billed oxpecker also eats dead skin, sweat, mucus, tears, saliva, and even earwax. The earwax is believed to have possibly bacteria in it to help with digestion. And the tears, mucus, and saliva and stuff may help with hydration, which, yeah, gross. But hey, when you're thirsty and there's no water nearby, you kind of do what you got to do. Which, hearing all that, you may think, well, that's their dark secret right there. They're bug eaters and earwax eaters. And nope, that's not it. For you see, there's one more major part of their diet I haven't told you about yet, and that is blood. Yep, like a vampire bat. The red-billed oxpeckers may help with ticks and other cleaning needs, but they also come with a cost for the mammals that they ride on, and that is they like to drink the blood of their transports. They have even been known to keep wounds open, increase the size, and create their own if the animals don't have enough wounds already on them, and they break them open with those sharp beaks. 
which can be obviously a bit painful, especially since these birds normally travel in flocks, or in this case of the red-billed oxpecker, referred to as flings. They travel in flocks or flings because they are social birds, calling tisk-tisk as they fly around. And thankfully, most of their rides, like elephants, have plenty of room for more than enough friends to come. Also, with having so many friends around, that means more eyes keeping an eye out for predators. For if they see a predator, they can let out a loud scream to let all the other oxpeckers around know danger is near. In Africa, there are a lot of dangers around. Birds of prey, snakes, and many cats, along with plenty of other predators, would love to make a snack out of these birds. Luckily, when you ride on an elephant, however, many of these animals are not going to mess around with you. But they don't always spend their time on animals. They do also fly around and sit in trees and do, well, normal bird things. Because when it's breeding time, they can't just build a nest on an elephant. That's probably not going to work out very well. Mating for these birds take place during the breeding season of September to February. Oxpeckers are considered monogamous, but in event their partner passes away, they will find another mate. Pairs complete their courtship behavior and mating on the back of the animals that they normally ride on, which, very sexy. Lots of calling, flashing of feathers, and then boom, they're a pair and it's nest building time. The nest they build is lined with the fur of animals in which they travel with, and of course, dung. This is built normally within a tree hollow. Within the nest, a female will deposit two to five eggs which are colored creamy white with darker markings across them. Both the male and female are involved in the incubation, and they will raise up to three broods each season. Eggs will hatch after about 12 to 13 days of incubation, and once they hatch, the chicks remain in the nest for about four months. But then after that, it's off, and they're out riding on animals, eating bugs, and, well, pecking and drinking the blood. (laughs) Now, you may be wondering, with so many of their rides endangered or having issues like elephants, rhinos, or giraffe, and so on, how are the red-billed oxpeckers doing? Conservation-wise, that is. Because, well, so many of their food sources are struggling to live themselves. And, well, the red-billed oxpecker, according to the IUCN Red List, is listed as least concern, population trend decreasing. And it was last evaluated in 2018. So, they, at the time of the evaluation, had a decent number, but they know that the population is decreasing and, at a point, may or may not still be heading in a direction that is threatened. The reason is pretty much what I said. With so many hoofstock and other large mammals being endangered or threatened due to habitat loss or poaching, the oxpacker is losing its food, and of course its habitat along with it. The other issue is that farmers in the region are using more modern practices like cow dips and other parasite control. I know, how selfish of them. How dare they want healthy cows and ruin a possible snack for the oxpacker? with their only backup plan, with all their wild hoofstock disappearing, just went up in smoke, or I guess in this case, pesticides. So, what can we do? Well, first off, with pesticides, make sure it's not harming the environment outside that of the bugs trying to live on the fur of cattle. But in the long run, we cannot really rely on cattle as a sole solution to increase the amount of bugs that these oxpeckers can peck at. Because actually decreasing the cattle is a major conservation win because cattle and cooking are some of the major things that destroy trees and habitat in this area. Cattles will clear out plants and farmers will cut down branches for cattle to feed on. 
And of course, the wood is also chopped down, not just for the kennel, but also for cooking. And there's not really that much wood to begin with, for there's not a lot of trees out in the savanna. So reducing cattle farms to more eco-friendly farming like chickens, for example, can cause less impact on the environment. Now, as for cooking, there are a couple of programs that provide more eco-friendly fuel, like taking hoofstock poo, drying it out, and using it as a more efficient, longer-lasting source of fire to cook food in. And yeah, it's dried and it's made in a way that it doesn't smell like burning shit, okay? But it's this really amazing process that you can go out and collect elephant and buffalo and all of this kind of just big piles of shit that's laying around, dry it out, and you can turn it into fuel that can help cook your food. And then, of course, the big one that could really help out the hoof stock that these oxpackers rely on is poaching. Just needs to stop. For you at home, just be aware of what you buy. Don't buy ivory or any other sort of illegal animal items that are affecting wild animals that are already struggling but also providing jobs to people that may be poaching in this area, like ecotourism, is a more consistent, legal way for these people to make money. That way they don't have to turn to poaching to put food on the table. But many are just, like I said, desperate people. You do also have to understand that there are a lot of jerks out in the world and that those people just need to be caught and stomped because they're just doing it for money, and that's about it. So helping all these amazing hoofstock and large animals in the end will then mean that there's a lot more thriving in Africa to make sure that the red-billed oxpecker has plenty of parasites and, of course, blood to eat. And that's our show. Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed hearing about our first spooky animal of the season, the red-billed oxpecker. As always, make sure to check out my Facebook, TikTok, YouTube, and Twitter, aka X, I guess now, pages. And as always, you can reach out to me at ericlikesanimals at gmail.com if you don't do the social media thing. Also, like I said before, Blue Loops now has officially come out, so I will make sure that there is a link down below for you so you can check out all these amazing people that have been recognized. All right, I think that's it. Once again, thank you guys for listening, and I will see you all next time.